Welcome to the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. On this podcast, let's step aside from our busy lives to have fun, fascinating, life-giving conversation with inspiring authors, pastors, sports personalities, and other influencers, leaders, and followers. Sit back, grab some coffee, or head down the road, and let's get the good and gold from today's guest. Here's Jeff Pinkleton, Executive Director of the Gathering of the Miami Valley, where their mission is to connect men to men and men to God. Hello, friends. Thanks for joining us today for another episode of the Pinkleton Pull Aside Podcast, where we like to talk things, all life lessons, leadership therein. And we like to do that in the spheres of sports, of comedy, of books, pastoral world, um, the like. And uh, today we cover several of those with a guy who's written some books, done some stuff, and what I love to do with my life and my day job, the world of men and connecting men to men and men to God. And uh, he's got a great background testimony story. Uh, welcome today, Ken Harrison. Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate it, man. Ken, great to be reconnected. I, I always like to start off and make a little connection of how we know each other. And that's, I think you, I think you responded to a message I sent either through Twitter or Facebook. And uh, you had your book out, Rise of the Servant Kings. And it really caught my attention. I'd heard a couple things here and there. Uh, as I tend to stay in the world of, of uh, what's coming out in Christian media world a good bit. And mm. I'll never forget that process. So you're coming to speak for us on March 31st, 2020. And we're holding it's out. Uh, we're holding out. We're holding out. We're holding out. We're holding out. And we finally had to say, we're probably going to burn ourselves here if we don't cancel this thing where everybody else is canceling. The other part of that was... Uh, we're, we're used to selling out. We just sold out a breakfast a few weeks ago. I think it was our 16th in a row. And I thought, what do we do if we bring Ken in and like nobody shows up because they're looking at us like, you idiots, everybody else canceled everything. NBA's canceling games, all that kind of stuff. And you coming and speaking to a room full of nobodies would not be a good thing. But we've stayed up. You did, I think back in May that year, you did a lunch for us through Zoom. I think we had a decent response to that. Not what, not what we would have had if you would have been there for mm -hmm. breakfast, but you know, it's been fun to kind of keep up and see what you've been doing with uh, promise keepers. And uh, we'll get more into that in a little bit. But uh, when you think back to that, March 31st, 2020, you were supposed to be with us. How is Ken Harrison different today than you were three and a half years ago? <laughs> that's funny. I mean, that's a, it's a good, great question because I remember we were going to do, we had Dallas Cowboy Stadium lined up for Promise Keeper's big comeback in July of 2020. And there was a big article in Time or some, some a major publication, I don't remember which one. And I said, well, we're not going to cancel. Even if we're the only ones there, well, we're not canceling. And then they, they said everything in the whole country had been canceled except for Promise Keepers. That was the only thing that was still running. Well, the governor's office of Texas saw that and called me and said, yeah, you're not doing that. So, <laughs> yeah. so we had to cancel and it's funny, the hate mail I got, I mean, hate mail, the mail I got at people saying, you coward, I can't believe you canceled. I'm like, well, we didn't have any choice. I mean, we, we were canceled. We didn't cancel, but then we had 45 days to put together a virtual event. So we did a virtual seven hour promise keepers event. We had 1.4 million men watch that across the world. So it was funny. We would have reached, you know, 50,000. And so we reached 1.4 million. That was a quite an education about mm. Proceed forward in faith, persevere, and uh, and when you get a wrench thrown at you, just 
keep going, man. It was mm-hmm. uh, it was a, a amazing thing. And God had his own plan, reached multiple more than we did by doing a virtual. Give us some other like testimonies in that. Like what else, you know, like we use that number 50,000, 1.4 million. What were some things that happened and what were some victories? Maybe, you know, a story about a guy somewhere that saw it virtually in Pittsburgh or in, you know, Columbus or in Chicago or DC or whatever, something that, you know, they would have never been able to be there in Dallas if that would have gone down in June. But because you guys did it that way, here's a, here's a way that God does something that only God could do. Yeah, I'll give you a bunch of quick stories. I and mean, one of them was we did do the Dallas Cowboys Stadium event a year later in July of 21. We had 30,000 guys show up. The Washington Post had a big write up. They couldn't believe that we got 30,000 guys because that was still in the middle of COVID. And it was, it was amazing. Testimonies are unbelievable. One of them, we had four women ushers were there crying. And some of our guys walked up and said, you know, why you're crying? It was during Nick um, Vujicic's altar call. And well, we want to receive Jesus, but there's no one to tell us how. It was like an axe moment. Mm. And um, these guys led these four women ushers to Christ. We had another guy walk into the kitchen where they were making the food for the vending places and led three of the cooks to Christ because they could hear the message. Leading up to that, there was a huge article on me in USA Today because I had been on an interview and talking about where the Christians standing up against this transgender movement and against the homosexual movement that's going on, the militant movement. And um, trying to cancel us, I got crazy amount of hate mail over that. People, where does this guy live? We're going to go kill him. It was amazing. My wife was sitting there reading all these different things about people saying, we're going to kill Ken Harrison. Where is he? It was amazing. You know, of course, they didn't realize I'm an ex-Los Angeles policeman. So <laughs> not like your normal minister. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so she's, Elliot, my wife is reading me all this mail. And uh, she says, you know, aren't you concerned with all these people saying they're going to come kill you? And I'm like, babe, the people who are writing these letters are not Navy SEALs. You know, <laughs> these are guys in their underwear screaming at their mom for their meatloaf. You know, so no, I'm not worried. And uh, but it was a it was a very learning experience, a very interesting experience about the vitriol hatred of people towards Christian men. I mean, that's where it was all coming from. Um, last story I'll give you is during that event these guys were on a bus coming from Houston to Dallas for the promise keepers event. They saw a homeless guy on the side of the road mm. drunk. They said, Hey, you're coming with us to promise keepers. They put him on the bus. They took all of his liquor away from him. He got to Dallas immediately went out and got some more liquor. He got to our event, got saved at the event that night. They baptized him and he poured out all of his alcohol and said, I don't want to drink anymore. Three months later, we did a check back on him. And sure enough, he was still sober, still walking with Christ. We, we had so many stories I could tell you that are unbelievable. Wow. Wow. That, I mean, that, yeah, that, there's so, I mean, women coming to Christ at a men's event, drunk guy. I mean, unbelievable, unbelievable. So one of the things I love about you, Ken, is you're clearly a no nonsense, cut to the chase, say it like it is, unapologetic. Usually the word charismatic may go with that. I wouldn't consider you an overly charismatic thing but uh you know you're lying about being fed meatloaf by their mom in their house or whatever i mean it's pretty strong but how do you navigate you say hate mail you say people talked about killing you or whatever and yet you know it's not like you're just irrationally throwing caution to the wind and doing crazy stuff like you know who's the guy that was in that movie where he uh hung out with bears all the time and he finally got eaten by a bear it was like well that was just kind of stupid like why would you do that time and time again and think you're not going to get killed by bears. So you seem to walk a really fine line that honors God, doesn't compromise, and yet you, you seem to lead with some wisdom. So how did that come into being, that persona? 
that DNA that can probably only come from God? You know, when I first took over Promise Keepers, I didn't really know what I was doing. It was dropped in my lap. Uh, somebody needed help. I went to a board meeting to help my friend Raleigh Washington, saw the state of Promise Keepers and yelled at the board um, for their financial state. And I walked out of there as chairman of the board. <laughs> and I only took the chairmanship to close it. I, I didn't want anything to do with Promise Keepers. And the Lord got a hold of me up. We don't have time for me to go to the story, but let me know, no, my will is for you to bring this back. And so I did bring it back. Well, as soon as I did, I started getting calls from people all over America. Unbelievable. You know, pastors I'd always really respected and stuff calling me and suddenly realized the the, the size of this thing. Like, whoa, what did I just do? Like, and I really, I don't, I'm not one for self-doubt much, but I was like, I'm not sure I'm up to this. And I remember hearing God's voice very clearly. And, you know, I'm not charismatic, so it's not like God calls, talks to me all the time, but he talked to me very clearly and said, Ken, I've been preparing you for this your whole life. Well, how was he preparing me for it? Well, you know, you know, 21 years old, I'm a Los Angeles policeman. I was very highly decorated, went through the Rodney King stuff and learned that just because you're doing what's righteous doesn't mean you're not going to be hated. Mm -hmm. Because I can tell you, being a cop in, in Compton and Watts area in that time wasn't fun. And it wasn't the people. The people loved us. The people of South Central LA loved the LAPD. It was the, the, the press, the journalists that were looking for the next Rodney King story. So I learned early on to deal with that sort of hatred and then ended up leaving there and growing a, a, into a huge international company. And so running a company and, and had many, many employees, I learned that just because you're treating people well and you're generous doesn't mean you're not going to be loved because people, they just, some people are just haters. So even though we were so generous and so giving in our company, yet even so people, things would come back to me. And then though, journey the Lord's had me on, and we'll get into the book in a little bit. But one of the things I really realized is Jesus wasn't kidding when he said, blessed are you when people persecute you and say all kinds of evil things about you. Rejoice. Great is your reward in heaven. And it's the thing we don't preach about in church much anymore. It used to be a big part of preaching in church for, for centuries. There are rewards. We will all be at a judgment seat of Christ and we will be rewarded for what we did. And God greatly values courage. In Hebrews chapter 11 is this list of the, the hall of faith. People who stood, men and women who stood strong, God greatly values people, his children, who walk forward with boldness, and he really doesn't like cowards. In fact, in Revelation 21, 8, he gives a list of eight sins, which if you're typified by those sins, you're for sure going to hell. That list starts with cowards. So, yeah, it's had an effect on me being a cop at such an early age in such an intense area like L.A., but, but realizing I, I want to have an audience of one. I want to know that Jesus Christ approves of me. And that's what it means to die to yourself daily and pick up your cross. I don't care what anybody else thinks. I don't care. Uh, I mean, Jesus didn't say, blessed are you if, if you're a jerk and people don't like you. He said, blessed are you when, right, when you're persecuted for my name's sake. Mm -hmm. So when we're loving and just and forgiving, and we go out and we pour ourselves out for our people and they spit in our face, that is what gives us great reward with our Father in heaven in this life and in the next. So I think that's a very short version of what got me to this point of I can be really direct. I really don't care if everyone hates me. In fact, Jesus promises that if you're really doing it right, if yeah. you're really walking with me with every way, you will have a small group of really close friends because you're going to be friends with the people like Jeff Pinkleton who are on the same road as you. Everybody else is going to hate you. Mm. They don't want to give up their sin. They don't want to give up their life. They want to live for money or fame or security or whatever their deal is. They, they, they desperately want to be liked by the crowd. 
they, they don't want to be on Facebook and have people say mean things about them. But if you're one of the few yeah. who pick up your cross daily, you're going to be filled with courage because you only have an audience of one. That's Jesus. If he approves of me, Man. that's all I want. For a guy like you living, being that way, you know, I think about some of the stuff we've done in our ministry where we've kind of quietly added some stuff for women. It's super low key. I got a woman who's kind of taken a lead with that. And when she approached me, she said, Jeff, you know, one of the things I love about the gathering is it's kind of gritty. It's kind of not afraid to get in each other's stuff. And she said, what, I, what I'm not looking for, what I don't think I need or want is like a bunch of 80-year-old women getting together and reading a book of Ruth. And, and, you know, on the flip side of that, as a guy, as a guy, I really relate to that. And she was speaking kind of my love language. So kind of with your grittiness that way or whatever, who are some of the people that maybe we would know, think of, whether in the Bible or whether or not, just men in the world, past or present, where you look and say, these have been kind of some of the heroes of the faith to me who spur me on and God's kind of used their example of following him to shape me into who I am. I give you a long list, but I'll, I'll try to make it short. And Tony Evans is a guy who's become a close friend. Um, he is the real deal. Uh, you know, the thing that is, you know, running Promise Keepers, you get to know people who are famous and write books and are big pastors, and you sort of get to know who's who and who's real. And it's amazing who's real and who isn't. And um, mm. Tony Evans, he's real. He is the real deal. Um, Franklin Graham, the, the real deal. Um, so some of these guys, I would say the biggest effect on me is James Robinson. Wow. You know, people may remember his name from way back, but James has become a spiritual father to me. You know, he was conceived in rape. His wow. mother was a hospice nurse, 40 years old, um, taking care of a man. And her, his drunk son came in and raped her. And Steve was, or James was conceived in 1948. She tried to get an abortion. She couldn't back then. And he grew into one of the greatest men of God. Um, and he really um, has a great heart for the Lord. Chad Hennings has become one of my best friends. He's the guy famously won three Super Bowls with the Dallas Cowboys yeah, and also yeah. flew 45 missions as a jet fighter pilot in the first Gulf War. Incredible man of God. Sam Rodriguez, A.R. Bernard. These are kind of current people who uh, have been huge. In scripture, you know, the guy that really has inspired me, it, um, I mean, there's so many, but I, I always look to, back to Moses because I don't think that most mm. people really think about this much. But Moses, here's a guy who... He's got a calling on his life and he knows it. He's 40 years old. He's been lived a pampered life his whole life as a prince of Egypt. The dude would have been completely skilled in every kind of hand-to-hand combat, wrestling. That's how that you know, society was in those days. All kinds of education. So when he's 40, he decides it's finally time for him to go out and lead a revolution against Egypt. And he goes out and he beats a guy to death. And Moses knew exactly how to do that. Goes out the next day to start his revolution and finds out the Israelites totally reject him. So God has to drive him out of the desert for 40 years. Moses gets out to the desert. People forget this part of the story. Shows up at a well and Jethro's daughters are out there and a bunch of land pirates come up there and have bad intentions. And Moses kicks the crap out of all of them. <laughs> I mean, he, he was a stud. The girls run off, tell Jethro, he's like, well, dude, we're living out here in the desert and you've got this stud Egyptian, like go find this guy. He married one of my daughters. But for 40 years, Moses walks around in Egypt. He's 80, <laughs> 80. Imagine his son's like 35 years old and Moses is like, you know, telling him stories about, you know, your dad was pretty great back in the day. He's like, I don't know, man. All I've known is you smelled like sheep my whole life. He's 80 years old when God finally calls him to what he tried to do when he was 40, but he didn't have the patience on the Lord. And then when God calls him finally, and goes off for two chapters about all the stuff that Moses is going to do. And Moses says, pick somebody else. Hmm. Now Moses has the humility to be able to be used by the Lord. Now he's ready to go out and lead these people for another 40 years, from 80 to 120 years old. 
complaining, 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 insulting him. When God finally says, you know, these whiners, I'm going to kill them all and start over. And God and Moses falls on his face before the Lord and says, no, please don't. These people who are persecuting him. So I look at that and I go, what is the message? Be assertive, be strong. Moses was both. Use those to help the poor and the oppressed. Wait on the Lord. That's the hardest for all of us. God is doing something in you and in other people. And in his timing, he will call you, not in your timing. You jump ahead of him, you end up walking around the desert for 40 years while he teaches you patience. And then finally, how do you know when you've made it? You may never make it totally, but when you've made it to really be a, a tool for the Lord is when people can hurl insults at you, even while you're helping them, and you can still love them and still pray for them. And that is where we as Christian leaders need to be. Because we are going into a world right now where we'd be hated more and more and more. We are being hated. I've been taking a stand against this transgender movement, man. It is destroying America. Not the transgender people, but the people using them for mm. their own devices. Wow. And you, you need to be able to love people and meet them where they're at. And we've got to see that. We've got to love each individual human being as a child of God. They got where they are for something, empathize with them, but also understand movements can be evil. So the movement itself can be evil, yeah. but the people within the movement, they all need to be have the love of Jesus Christ. Boy, that's so hard to do, I think, for most people. And we struggle with that in the church about separating people from things, what's evil, yes. what's Satan behind, and separating the people side of that. So I, I read this great quote the other day. I, I'm curious. Uh, again, this is where we go off script. I'm curious <laughs> if you've ever heard this quote. This is so good. Frederick Buchner. It is here is the world, and I love the image. I was able to stumble across. I don't know if you can see that, probably not. It's not really yeah. easy to see. It's looking out this window, and it's kind of not not terribly bad off of where your Pikes Peak image is. It's a lake, and then it's this wooded area, and it says here Pikes is, Peak out my window there. I'm sure. Oh everybody. man, I wish I wish people could see that, but they can't. But I can. Here is the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Don't be afraid. Yes. What does that say to your soul when you hear that again? Frederick Buechner, here is the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Don't be afraid. You know, Jesus promises us that if we, we talked about this, if we're doing it right, we will be hated, right? He values perseverance. Paul says, uh, I think it's in Philippians, that I don't yet know if I've attained the crown of righteousness. Mm -hmm. Really? Paul? Paul. Not sure. Then he says in 2 Timothy, now I know, now I know I've attained the crown of righteousness and not just me, but all those who love his appearing. So there are crowns that we can earn. So life is going to be hard. You know, um, I love that John Wayne quote, life is hard, but it's a lot harder if you're stupid. <laughs> <laughs> but let me go back to Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. So we all know the verse for by grace, we're saved through faith. And it's the gift of God, not of ourselves, lest no one should boast. We're saved completely by faith, and even our faith is a gift from God. The next verse is Ephesians 2.10. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that were prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Okay, so why were we created? For good works. Good What good works? Ones that God prepared before you and I were ever born, Jeff. So if we're completely submitted to Christ, there is a, a set of good works that God has laid out for us to accomplish, and he's gifted us specifically to accomplish those gifts. So people go, well, man, I'm not, I'm not the guy that can run promise keepers or have a big podcast or, or write books or be a big pastor. God armed you, man or woman, to do his works that he laid out for you. 
So you don't have to have those gifts, but you may have been gifted to run a great company and be an example to your employees. You may have been gifted to be a really great dad and get involved in their school board. Son, what did you learn today? Oh, I learned that if a 10-year-old girl likes she's a boy, they should cut her breasts off and, and give her, really? I'm going to go get involved in the school board mm-hmm. and I'm going to go throw people off the school board and, and I'm going to start. To, what has God gifted you to do? Everywhere I go today, I find that people are filled with fear. It's unbelievable to me. Mm-hmm. God's given me a gift of not, I'm just not afraid of anything. People are afraid. And I said, what are you afraid of? And they really can't give me an answer most of the time. A lot of people say they're afraid of people saying mean things about them or their kids or whatever. Man, if you really want to be abandoned to Christ, you've got to work through the fear. If you step out to do anything of value, there will be people there who are there to criticize you. There are lots of people who can't do crap. They can't do anything. So they stand and they criticize. Now, that group of people has got a much bigger voice than they used to through social media. Mm. It used to be if you're a fool, you had a small group of influence. You get on Twitter now. My good friend, uh, Senator James Lankford out, out of Oklahoma, every time he tweets anything, it doesn't matter what he tweets, there's these people on there just telling him how much they hate him. I get this all the time. I get people, we, we post stuff and people will, will go after me. So what? Who cares what they say? They, got, they have no effect on you. Yeah. If you want to make a difference in this world, you got to walk through your fear, whatever it is. And there's a guarantee Jesus has for you. People will hate you. Mm. They will say horrible things about you. So what? The gift you have in heaven is so awesome, so amazing. And he will reward you both in heaven and on this earth. People ask all the time, why do some Christians have such great marriages and great kids? And they seem blessed by the Lord and others don't. Because some Christians, a handful, are really walking in the faith and in obedience to the Lord. And the great majority are not. They're on the wide road that leads to destruction. Not hell, leads to destruction in this life and a lack of rewards at judgment seat of Christ. Well, give us the, we haven't jumped into it. I've gotten so excited about things you're talking about. I'm staying in a moment, but give us kind of your three-minute story of coming to Jesus and what God was doing to bring you to a, a good, right relationship with him. Yeah, I'll give you a really quick, quick story. Tarper um, Collins asked me to write an autobiography, so I'll try to give a three-minute version. But it, essentially... I was saved when I was five. My dad was an LA cop. He was shot in the Watts riots and retired um, us up to Oregon. And so I got saved when he did. He, he went up the aisle at a Baptist church or an altar call and I ran behind him. And I was filled with the spirit of five. I mean, I literally chased Ricky Nelson down in the airport in Portland once and witnessed to him for five minutes. Oh, My geez. mom told me he was a famous rock star. So I chased yeah. after him. That, that dude graciously listened to me. Um, but I got in, in, into a really legalistic church. My dad did. And, and, uh, so I really started studying the scriptures on my own at 12 years old. So I really knew the Bible very well because I was just so tired of really being persecuted by the church I went to and the horrid church school. And it was one of those, you know, rock and roll music's bad and, you know, cards are bad and everything was bad, right? If it's fun, it was evil. But God got a hold of me and really taught me who he was through his scripture. Did the LAPD thing, really walk with the Lord. But at 30, and this is where I started off the book, A Daring Faith in a Cowardly World, I was in a jet ski accident. Long story short, a guy hit me on a jet ski, got to emergency room. The doctor said, you've got five hours to live because he's just blown up your liver. So I laid on a gurney for an hour. I said to the doctor, well, how will I die? He said, your, your body will poison itself to death. So for an hour, I laid there thinking I'm getting ready to meet Christ. What am I going to say to him? When I see Jesus and he says, what did you do with what I gave you? Who was clothed because of you? Who was saved because of you? Who, who, what starving per- person was fed because of you? I'm going to say, well, I was a highly decorated policeman and never cheated on my wife. It didn't sound like much to me. Mm. I'd never really been taught this idea about rewards and the judgment seat of Christ. 
But I remember thinking when the doctor came in and said, Hey, good news. They didn't blow up your liver. You blew up your kidney. So you're going to live Wow! and broke all my ribs and all that. I remember thinking, I never want to be in that position again. When they tell me the plane is going down and I got 10 seconds to live, I want to say, great. I can't wait to get yeah. in front of Jesus. Okay. I can't wait for him to say, what did you do with what I gave you? So that was the culmination of a call to me of my life in Christ at 30 years old, where I realized my life is not my own. And it's okay because since I have abandoned myself to Christ, he has blessed me so much, so incredibly well that I can't imagine living any other way. I sort of, I look at Christians and I feel sad for them. Like, dude, you're just missing it. You're compromising with this world. You're running after the approval of men. And it's so empty. Someday you're going to have cancer. Someday you're going to have a stroke. Someday, whatever, you're going to be facing death and you're going to look back and go, what was it all for? I'm not going to have that problem. And I hope to encourage people through this book not to have that problem either. Get busy. You're going to walk into the throne room of Christ either with your head held high or with your head held down in shame. I would have gone in with my head held down in shame at 30. God says, whatever the world thinks is great, I find repugnant. Mm. At 30, people would have said, this guy's a successful businessman. He was a highly decorated Los Angeles cop. He was a big athlete. He did all these great things. And God would have said that no value. There were people starving down the street from you. There were people living in the ghetto. There were fatherless boys running around looking for a mentor, and you did nothing for any of them. At 55 years old, I don't have that problem anymore, and I, and I really want to encourage people. That's what we're supposed to do. Encourage your brothers and sisters in Christ to live up to his standard because you get one life to live, baby. He's got a plan for you to accomplish, and you're going to be judged based on how well did you accomplish that plan or not. Yeah. What would you say looking at it from a discipleship perspective from 30 till now, what are like two or three things that have maybe dug your well deep to be at a place to balance a no nonsense, we're all in fast and furious going after it, not in a way that ignores or blows off rest or Sabbath type living, but also ways love into the balance to say, Hey, this is separating what's evil from people loving people. Well, because clearly most people aren't ended up where you are as far as, as a disciple of Jesus, what would have been the positive influences? I mean, is there a daily rhythm? Is there an annual rhythm? Is there the right discipleship relationship that's matured you to this point? Um, you know, I really love my most first highest by Oswald Chambers. I read that all the time. I also love Andrew Murray, who was a pastor in South Africa in the early 1800s. I read, I've never without an Andrew Murray book, a phenomenal and godly man. So talking about factual stuff there, I have learned a couple of big lessons. Number one is never let anybody put their hair cut onto you. Mm. All right. So you asked me a daily routine. I am not a routine guy, period. I live everything in the moment. I have a, a long plan, but um, I spent a lot of time with people telling me you have to get up early to read the Bible and to pray because you have to give God the first of your day. I don't do well in the morning. So I spent how many years getting up at four in the morning and trying to pray and just miserable. I do well at night. And um, so I spent, I love scripture and I love to be in prayer and I love to sit by the fire at six, seven, eight o'clock in the evening with my Bible open, studying my Bible, listening to Pink Floyd. You know, my <laughs> wife likes to do her reading. I think a lot of people have said that that's the way to go. Get into Pink Galatians, Floyd, actually inspired. Proverbs, Lamentations, Pink Floyd, Roger Waters. That's right. I, I told one, I told this uh, really legalistic uh, lady one time that she asked me how I study the Bible. I said, I, I love to listen to Pink Floyd, read my Bible and drink bourbon. And she looked at me like I was from the devil. So 
Nothing you what? said surprised me about what you just said about yourself. But, yeah. Bourbon, Pink Floyd, and read your Bible. I'm not, I'm not interested in living by anybody else's rules, man. Yeah. If, if it's in scripture, that's it, period. I, I'll obey it completely. If it's not in scripture, then it's up to your opinion. And people love to put their own legalism off on you, man. So how many of us live in bondage created by somebody somewhere with the rules? This is one of the most important things about knowing God's word well, because you know what it really says mm. and what it doesn't say. And it doesn't say you can't listen to Pink Floyd. Right. Well, with so, my name like it is, I love anything related to the word pink. So my sister was a huge Pink Floyd fan. I think I got, I think one of my kids has a Pink Floyd shirt that I got him. Yeah. And, and people can say, well, they're terrible people. Well, they probably are. I don't know. I mean, they're musicians. They, I, they, they have great music. I don't, I'm not listening to what, you know, they're preaching. Yeah. So, um, but I, what I'm trying to say to people is be free. Christ, he, he said, give all and then be free. And so, um, I don't need to get up in the morning. I like to spend the evenings with the Lord. So that's what I'm encouraging other people is stop living by whatever standard somebody else gave you, yeah. whatever somebody else is cool. And right now, even this sort of freedom has become this cliched nonsense. You know, I just preacher friend of mine's 50 years old, just got a tattoo on his arm. He showed up, showed me this tattoo and, and I'm like, dude, really? Oh, I'm free. I'm like, I don't know. Free. You're just running after the cliche of everybody else for crying out loud. You know, I mean, if you're going to be free, be really free. Don't, don't be free running along with all the other ducks because every preacher <laughs> in the world's got a tattoo now. Yeah. You know, do whatever you want to do. I mean, if you got a tattoo because that's what you want, great. I don't have any tattoos because I think find them to be cliched. So anyway, I'm just saying I've learned not that. And the second thing I've really learned is, is I've prayed, Lord, help me to see people through your eyes. Mm -hmm. Teach me empathy. Because I think especially as strong men, we can be very unempathetic, especially to women. And I preach this to men all the time. I go, you know, why don't you just think about this for a minute? Think us think about sex because we're always thinking about sex because we're men. <laughs> right. Well, is you, your body never changes as a man, right? You, you had one change ever and that was puberty and that was all good, right? You got bigger and stronger and faster and got hair in your body and started to say, I'm a man, right? Now you think about sex from a woman's standpoint. And by the way, and, and men can have sex and there's zero consequence, a man orgasms and he's done, right? That's it. You think about from a woman, her body is changing all the time. Think about puberty and how traumatic that can be. Another issue about the transgender movement coming out to these 10, 11 year old girls, that girl suddenly starts a menstrual cycle, suddenly develops breasts. All of her friends that she used to catch frogs with or play football with, suddenly they've all changed and they've gotten bigger and stronger. Now they're looking at her weird, right? So puberty can be very traumatic for a girl. And then every month her body changes with her menstrual cycle. And then pregnancy. Imagine being able to grow life in your body that we don't have and then feed that, that child. And then menopause, which can be devastating for a lot of women because their identity comes from being moms and, and being that, and now they, they don't have that anymore. A man can have babies when he's 80. So what I'm saying is now take the look at that from a sex standpoint, just from our instinctual possibility as a husband, I don't care how long you've been married for a woman in her instincts, every time she has sex, it could be a life altering event called pregnancy. And in her instincts, all the history of humankind, women died during pregnancy. Every sexual encounter could be that. Whereas for a man, it's got zero consequences. So now we pull ourselves back and say, maybe that's why a man wants to have sex because he's breathing. And a woman, she wants to have sex. Why? Because she respects and loves her husband and she feels safe and protected. You see how much easier life gets when we start to empathize and put our shelves in the shoes of the other person. Hey, I'm in the mood for sex. How's life been for my wife today? Mm. Well, 
man, she just got some bad news today. She's been through a hard time. Maybe what she needs is for me just to love her and to um, you know, connect with her and, and maybe not be all, all about that tonight. Who knows? But I'm saying that's just a, a very small example of a great picture. What I'm saying is if we want to be effective in the kingdom of heaven, then we need to be able to step our, put ourselves in the shoes of that person and that person and say, how does what I'm saying sound to them? Mm-hmm. Why is somebody like that? They're different from me, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're wrong. It just means that they're different. And even the people that we see is, we've, we've brought up the transgender, I've brought up the transgender thing a few times. What led a, a 25-year-old man to the point where he wants to put on a dress and be thought of as a woman? He needs some love and some understanding for me. He's in sin. But Jesus says, if you see your brother in sin, correct him. And if he asks for forgiveness, forgive him. He doesn't need my judgment, my condemnation. He needs my understanding because, dude, that dude has probably been through some kind of crazy trauma as a kid. And if we met them with love, they don't have, they're not our enemy, man. Yeah. Satan's our enemy and their our ears are open to Satan. So you asked me what I've learned. I tried to give you a short answer, but I've learned not to conform to anybody else's idea of what Christ thinks I should be, but just to conform to scripture and my own personality. Number two, to empathize with people and ask, how did somebody get to where they are so that they, I can give them the gospel in a way that they can hear it? There's a lot of good things you said there that I'd love to pick apart and pull out and you know, extrapolate a lot more from several items you shared. But one of the things I really appreciate about what you shared there, Ken, in that soundbite was I think if guys like me and you really pour into men and see the mantle God's given men, you know, I like how Brant Hansen and guys like Stephen Mansfield talk about tending your fields, taking care of the land, the property, the the lay around you. What's what's uh, proximity? What's within your six feet? What's within your whatever? Kyle Eidelman talks about that a little bit in his book, One at a Time. And yet, we still can elevate love, encourage, honor, speak highly of women. It's not an either or thing. It's not being for me. I just had a woman on my podcast who is very pro feminism kind of movement for all inclusive with women, but she respects and has a great value place for men. And I'm like, why can't we do more of that versus everything's got to be in either? Or I just, I've been reading, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with this book, Paul David Tripp's book, Reactivity, and looking at negativity related to social media and whatever that way. But instead of really hitting it hard from a negative standpoint, he just allows the gospel to expand and talk about how it impacts everything. And what we're called to, what we're not called to, and what is there for the taking for us. And I think that's a lot of what you're saying. And, and I really think, I mean, I hope people caught what you said there because there's some great love on honor, elevate men, and love on honor, respect women in there as well that's so needed, I think, in our culture today. I mean, that was Christ, right? He was very harsh with his words to some people and very forgiving with other people. And who was he patient with? The, the, the repentant. If somebody was repentant, he was always endless patience. If somebody was rebellious, he had zero patience with them. I think we need to take that as our example. So, yeah, I, I just think um, if we really, what are we really about? What are we really trying to accomplish? I mean, that, people ask me, do you, you know, how often do you fight with your wife? Or they say marriage is a lot of work. I'm like, I never fight with my wife and I don't find marriage to be a lot of work at all. We're best friends. <laughs> Uh, it's, we both love Jesus completely. So life is a complete and huge adventure, but, um, but that wasn't, it's a process of learning, right? It's like the stuff I just talked about and sort of empathizing that didn't come to me all of a sudden. Um, I had to learn that the hard way over years of going, gosh, sometimes she seems in the mood, sometimes she doesn't, I don't really understand. And I had to come to the idea of, oh, it's because 
I'm I'm never changing. I don't I don't associate sex with emotion. I, I just associate sex with sex, right? Mm. She's different. Yeah. But you work all those things out if you really love each other. You, you become so close to that. I can't imagine people saying marriage is so much work. Really? I don't, I don't think so. So let me ask you this. So you've referenced Pink Floyd. I think we had a, uh, before previously music came up with us. What concert do you take me to and where is it? And I'm going to take you to U2 in Ireland. If, if money's no object, then we can do whatever we want. Maybe we have to settle for Vegas since Vegas is building U2 a brand new or a brand new venue to serve their new concert experience. Where are you taking me to? Well, if I could go back in history, if I could have gone to one tour, it would have been Pink Floyd, the wall tour, that crazy extravagant tour they had. Um, if you ask me the best band I ever saw in concert, um, man, I saw some amazing concerts back in the day. But I have to say, before they were famous, I saw Jane's Addiction in a little bar in Los Angeles with about 50 people. That was an unbelievable show. Wow. <laughs> that that Yeah, I'm, I'm not extremely familiar with Jane's addiction. I just wasn't that they didn't uh, tickle my fancy, I guess, back in the day or whatever. I know my sister really liked them a lot, but I'm thinking, yeah, anybody like that with that kind of reputation in a bar with 50 or 60 people, that would be a great show. So, Hey, let's transition while we got a little lighter there for a moment. I like to do these things called the rapid five. These are more kind of lighthearted, but you know, it's got some meat to them kind of thing. Ken, what's your favorite childhood snack or cereal? No, it's a cliche, man. Captain Crunch, baby. I mean, and they didn't have Crunch Berries back then when I was a kid. I, okay. I, I still, to this day, for, for dessert sometimes, I have Captain Crunch with Crunch Berries. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, yeah, I've gone through seasons with cereal. I've been probably for the last year or two back on a pretty strong cereal kick about three nights a week. I'm getting me a bowl. Actually, I actually had a bowl before I left this morning, but it be, it's become a snack for me, not a breakfast thing. So yeah. it comes with yeah. age, I guess. At um, our age, you need protein for breakfast, man. Yeah. You know, I hear you. eggs, bacon, all that good stuff. So what is your favorite book? Not that you've written. That's a non Ken Harrison. Maybe, maybe you've already alluded to it. It's Andrew Murray type stuff, but what's your favorite book you most like to gift to other people? Um, yeah, I give out the indwelling spirit by Andrew Murray a lot. I give out my utmost first highest by Oswald Chambers a lot. And as far as a novel goes, I would say, um, East of Eden by John Steinbeck. I was okay. an English lit major. So love great novels. And, uh, that, it's actually based on the the story of Cain and Abel, but uh, he's defeated by John Steinbeck. If you, it, it's you got to really be willing to sit down and really read it. And the hundred pages, it's it's one of those old novels that starts slowly, but it is an incredible novel. Wow, that's encouraging. I have to keep that in mind. So let's say uh, extended family, friends, you're going on a vacation, you're driving. If you're like me, we always end up for whatever reason stopping about ten minutes that I planned on it to go to the bathroom for somebody with a family of six, and we see this exit sign. And you've traveled enough. You can you've experienced all these places. I'm sure you see McDonald's. Chick-fil-A, In-N-Out Burger. Where are you going? Dude, In-N-Out Burger. That's not even close. Who's second then, Chick-fil-A or McDonald's? Chick-fil-A. Those are the only two fast food places I'll eat, In-N-Out Burger and Chick-fil-A. Really? Yeah. I'm but In-N-Out Burger, man. I'm amazed at the people that don't like In-N-Out Burger. I've had people like absolutely love it. And some people are like, man, never going back type of thing. I'm like, really? Come on. It's... That, that's I think that's the unforgivable sin. It's not like you know <laughs> that and driving in the left lane yeah. slowly. Going slowly. Those two things. Exactly. Yeah. So what's the movie? Uh, let's go old school, Ken. If you were flipping channels and it's not streaming, and you stumbled across this movie, what movie gets you every time? And you gotta you gotta stay with it no matter where it is in the movie. Green Mile. Oh wow! 
Tom the Green Hanks. Mile. There's something about that movie, man. Okay. I don't think I've ever had anybody say that that, that answer. Really? Yeah, I don't think so. I get a well, lot of like a... Shawshank Redemption or things like that, but The Green Mile, I, I would say my is the second. It, it's another Tom Hanks movie, but Saving Private Ryan. Oh yeah. I yeah. yeah that, those two movies. Any and all military movies I think people love. So here's here's a great one. We're close enough in age. I want to hear your answer to this. Who is your first celebrity crush? <laughs> You're going to be disappointed. It was Anne Margaret. Oh, wow. She's older. She's old enough to be our mom. Yeah. But I was like eight years old, and I saw this old movie with Anne Margaret as a teenager in it from the early 60s, and I was smitten with Anne Margaret. Do you mean to tell you who I thought you were going to say? Who? Farrah Fawcett. I was not, dude, I, I, I was much more of a Cheryl Ladd guy. Okay. Yeah. Sure. I would say Cheryl Ladd was probably, you know, once I was old enough to actually know what was going on and pick somebody, you know, that was, it would have been Cheryl Ladd. It's, it's funny to think of where those women have gone. Cause I didn't fair Fawcett just die. I feel like she did was, you? I feel like she did. Of course she was married to Lee majors. I can't remember. Maybe, maybe she's, maybe I'm wrong. I don't want to spread rumors of her death, but uh, you know, of course, Jacqueline Smith did the K Marty kind of, you know, got into merchandise and clothesline or whatever. Cheryl Ladd kind of went to the, uh, um, like lifetime movie route. And uh, I don't know what Kate Jackson did, but Kate Jackson was the one I really liked her. I thought I'd bet she'd beat the crap out of you. If you saw her on the street, if she was like, if you would have gotten her as a partner in LA, I think you would have been okay with that. <laughs> Farrah Fawcett, Cheryl Ladd, Jacqueline Smith. Nah, you're not fine with that. Kate Jackson. I bet she'd kick some people's teeth in. She kind of looked like she did have a very masculine energy. Didn't she? She just was you know, tough. By the way, just for all the younger people, you're talking about Charlie's Angels, and I wasn't allowed to watch it when I was a kid. Oh, really? I wasn't allowed to watch Charlie's Angels or Love Boat or Three's Company. Oh. <laughs> Love Boat to this day has like one of the greatest theme songs ever. I loved it. And then CBS is making me so mad. They came out with this reimagined reality show of Love Boat that looks absolutely atrocious. And I'm like, don't mess with Lauren Tweez and Fred Grandy and Isaac Washington or Ted Washington. Don't Gavin McLeod. Gavin McLeod. Leave those guys alone. Like, don't jack that up. So, okay. Same with La- Fantasy Island, man. I mean, you just I, missed her work. And, I never uh, got into that. And the little, the little dude. I think I was too tired. Uh, I was too tired after Love Boat because Love Boat came on before it. I think I'm like, it's past my bedtime. I better hit the sack and ditched out. So, well, Ken, we got a lot of things we could still go through. I want to finish with a couple things here real quick. Tell us about your two books. The Rise of the Servant Kings is the first one. More recently, you got out A Daring Faith in a Cowardly World. I think we've caught a pretty good glimpse of your heart in that regard there. But give us a couple reasons to buy both books, like separate them out a little bit. Yeah, Rise of the Sermon Kings is a book about being a man, and it, it covers the, the gamut, and it's full of L.A. Cop stories. And in fact, um, I didn't mean for it to be that way, but the publisher was Multnomah, and they were just like, dude, we want more of these stories. And so it has sold extremely well because it's it's written. People can probably kind of tell my personality by now, but you know, each chapter starts off with a story. Most of them are LAPD stories, and most of them are pretty darn gritty. So there's that. Um, and it, it's basically, it's a great book. If you, if you're like, how, how do I become a man? Like really some of the stuff I've already said, or you want to give it to your kids. I would just say, um, I, I demachoized it. So every, every chapter starts with a story and then it has a rest of the story at the end. So it's very interesting in that regard. And I, I didn't put a bunch of LA cop stories in there because I didn't want it to be that tenor but really the idea was why should i be a good guy if i'm Mm -hmm. saved by grace then what why don't i why don't i just do whatever i want and frankly i think that's the teaching a lot of people are getting from the evangelical church today 
because people are not going to church, not giving themselves over to Christ. Well, because they, we haven't given them the, the why. And the why, of course, is if Jesus gave the entire salvation message in John 3.16, if you believe you're saved, which he did, then what are all the rest of his words about? Mm. They're about being holy. And why should I care about being holy? Because if you want the power and the joy that comes from the Christian walk, that's what it takes. So being saved, real easy. Being holy, really, really hard. Mm. That's where Jesus says you need to be on the narrow road. Why does the road lead to destruction? That means all of the carnal Christians that you know, they're on the wide road worrying about what the world thinks. They go to church when it's comfortable. They leave, you know, before the last song, so they can be the first one in line at the breakfast place. Who are the people who are truly giving all and why should I? And that's what I, the question I wanted to answer. And so in the last several chapters of that book, I go into the, all of the different promises. One last thing on that. I had a theologian, a well-known theologian, call me after the book and say, I really was offended by you writing this book. I didn't want you to write this book because I didn't like any idea that Christianity is about works. I'm like, Christianity is all about works. Getting saved is not about works. But once you are one, it's all about works. He said, I was really bothered by it because I read your book with a pen in my hand, ready to shred it. When I got done with your book, I was so totally convinced. Now I can't stop seeing it. Everywhere I open the Bible, it's rewards, rewards, rewards. You can be judged good works. What, you know, he's like, I can't, holy cow, because I can't believe I got a doctor in, in theology, doctor in theology. I never realized wow. this. Why aren't we teaching this? And I said to him, that's why I wrote the book. Wow. We're not teaching it. And I don't know why. Everyone's life greatly matters. And men need to know this because we want to win. We want the, the, the blue ribbon. God is going to judge us and, and reward us for what we did in this world. There is a reason for you to give all. There is a judge. And it's not a judge like a con condemnation judge. It's like running a victory to win, being called up on the victor stand, and being given all the crowns and rewards from, from winning the race. And that's what Paul's talking about over and over again. So that's what a daring faith in a cowardly world is. We need men to stand up and stop being wussies and start acting like men because the world desperately needs desperately. it. These kids today are being propagandized and destroyed. Where are the Christian men standing up in the name of Christ and saying enough? It was William F. Buckley who said, sometimes there a, comes a time in history where it takes a man to stand on the road and say this far and no more. Hmm. And that time has come. Amen. Who's going to do it? This looks like a book that's going to be a gathering, locker room, small group, content material thing in 2023. So I'm excited to read it. My, my goal is I'm finishing it by Christmas, which I'm sure I'll get there. So Ken, always a pleasure. Man, I would love to spend some time doing a little life with you because I think we could do a lot of cool stuff for the kingdom. But for people that want to know more, get books, all that kind of good stuff, Promise Keepers, where do you want them to go to? Yeah, I would encourage people to first download the Promise Keepers app. It sounds cliched, but it isn't. Uh, the app is full of great stuff. The usage of it, that people who measure these things say that it's incredibly uh, usage. So guys who download it, use it. They get into conversations. There's a lot of great biblical content on there. Promise Keepers has been doing virtual events ever since the one we talked about. We did one on sexual integrity um, in last May. We had 250,000 men watch it, and 5,000 of them went through our intensive 30-day Wow. Get Healed from Pornography Challenge. And we're getting letters from those guys that are still pornography-free. Wow. We did one last month on mental health, grief, depression, and have a challenge to go through on that. So there's a lot of amazing material. If you just go to the App Store, just go to Promise Keepers app. Also, you can get the same stuff off the website if you're not an app person, just promisekeepers.org. There's a lot of really great content to get on there to you know, help you with everything from depression to 
sex perversion to um, financial uh, issues, but everything we give, we're not going to argue about different theological things like speaking in tongues or stuff, but we are going to not mince words at all. This is men talking to men. Yeah. You know, this is what is very hard to get in the church nowadays. It's like, dude, you fell down. You, you say you're a porn addict. You fell down and you struggled. Well, then get up, rub some dirt on it. Stop your whining, ask for pens <laughs> and keep going. I mean, that's how we're doing this. So Amen. it's, this is men talking to men. Love it. Well, again, it's been a pleasure. I could do a whole lot more time with you and uh, look forward to having another conversation like this down the road. And uh, we'll obviously talk ho- hopefully here soon. Hopefully you get me out there at Ohio now that people aren't uh, in this middle of this COVID thing and we can try this all over again. Let's do that. That'd be great. Have a great day. Right, Thank you for joining us on the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. You can reach Jeff at gatheringmiamivalley.org or find us on Facebook at The Gathering of the Miami Valley. Join us again next week for another honest and rich conversation. The Rise FM Podcast Network.